0: Today's story concerns adult subject matter for mature listeners. If that's not your cup of tea, or there are youngsters listening, please skip this one and come back for another story another time. You're listening to The Ghost of Dog on The Voice of Dog, and tonight's story is the first of two parts of Dancing on Devil's Night by Domus Vosis who spends his time reading bad fan fiction when he's not braving the arctic winters of Wisconsin, and published his debut novel, The Adventures of Peter Gray, in 2018. You can also find more of his stories on Patreon. Read for you by Dirt Coyote from twitter.com. Of course, the haunted days as the October fades aren't just about the things in the darkness that do the haunting. They are about the place and the time that is haunted. They are about the people who brave the haunting. What would be the point of sneaking out at night if it weren't at least a little fearful to do so? By way of example, please enjoy. Dancing on Devil's Night by Domus Vokis, part one of two.
1: His rumbling moan hidden by outside ambience. Distant shouts and screeching sirens from miles away, muffled by the layers of wall plaster and rusting still, howling winds, a warm paw on my abdomen, manly fingers pressing around my bare cock, freezing in the cool air underneath a rusting roof, his grin as he panted down at me, making my chest warm and my bushy tail twitch. Of all the days of the year throughout my young life in Riviere, I never expected to lose my virginity on Devil's Night. The date was October 30th, 1994. Just another lazy Sunday. My parents called me down for dinner, tuna casserole, again. As my little sister Mara paused the family room's VCR midway through a tenth viewing of that Beauty and the Beast tape. Billy paused his half-completed puzzle on the carpet, and I finished my trigonometry homework upstairs. "'How was work, hon?' Mom asked as she scooped slices onto our plates. She gave a dirty look to me when I put my elbows on the kitchen table. "'I hear there were some early fires on Wyoming and Orange Lawn before lunch. Did you pick up a call on that?' "'Not me,' Dad swallowed a forkful of his slice in one bite." Licking his lips. Joey. Joey Radovich got the call. So did Shelly and Kevin. Meanwhile, there I am, telling a prank caller not to call 911 unless there's an actual emergency. Like a shooting, or a stabbing, or God forbid, something stuck right up a furze. <clears throat> Mom cleared her throat just in time, or else Mara and Billy would have likely learned another swear word. Billy already knew how to say... Fucking bitch, thanks to the seven year old raccoon listening to Dad watch the Rivier Kings get walloped by the packagers earlier in the football season. Mara learned how to say God damn it and pussy shit one morning when Billy didn't put a Lego piece away. Anyway, Dad chuckled nervously as he dug back into his meal, setting his beer can aside. You finish your homework, Alex "'Yeah, it wasn't that hard,' I shrugged as I scooped some ketchup onto a warm bit of casserole. "'Mr. Fitzsimmons wasn't in today, so the substitute teacher made a mistake and gave us last week's homework. "'Same questions and answers, too.'" "'Are tax dollars at work?' Dad muttered between sips of his beer. "'So, Sue, I put up the bars in the backyard windows like you asked. The shed's locked, too.'" Don't want to wake up on Halloween tomorrow and find out we'll need a new lawnmower. Can we watch Beauty and the Beast again? Mara pleaded. Please, please, please! Everybody at the table suppressed a groan, while Billy pretended his plastic knife was a scalpel and his slice of tuna casserole was a cadaver. I could have waited a bit longer. Then I imagined not finding another opportunity and immediately asked, Mom? Dad? Can I spend the night at Sid Seraphine's house, please? Nope. You can't, Mom answered me blunt and on point. It's a school night and devil's night. Sid's literally closer to the school than we are, I counter-argued before she could say, period. The words she told whenever her mind was made up and couldn't be changed. Don't forget, he still struggles with trigonometry. And he didn't even do last week's homework. Valid point, Dad mused aloud. We both shrank slightly from the dirty look she glared at us, particularly at him. Sorry, hon. You had all of Friday and Saturday to meet up with Sid, mister, Mom countered, my assumingly strong counter-argument. Tonight's too dangerous to be out. If you don't want to watch TV or a VHS with the family, you can go to bed early. Damn, why did mothers always have to be so good at never being wrong? Fine, I groaned with folded ears. My fork scraped at the bottom of the casserole as I sliced it in another slice. Can I be excused afterwards? I might as well finish those comic books Grandpa got me. Mom smiled softly. Help me dry the dishes and you got yourself a deal. Thank God. Being a heavy sleeper rang in the family. As soon as dusk began to descend on the horizon and they went off to bed, bringing Mara with them and sending Billy to his room, I pretended to go to the bathroom and sneaked out the back door without anybody being the wiser. The lights upstairs didn't turn on from where I stood on the vacant street. Good. Beneath the pajamas I discarded and placed in my backpack... Emptied of all things, save for several rolls of toilet paper and permanent markers, the clothes I had on me were my custom black sneakers, dark blue jeans, and a hoodie jacket I'd kept hidden from my parents since I'd started the night's tradition a few years back with Sid. Every cub, preteen, and teenager in Riviere knew about Devil's Night. No, not just Riviere. The rest of Michigan and even the world understood almost everything about Devil's Night. The night before Halloween, when vacant houses across the city would burn while anarchy and vandalism reigned supreme. Nobody knew why or how it all began, but it gave angsty teens like me and Sid a chance to go out. It gave us a chance to release teenaged aggression. Well, provided we didn't do serious damage or kill anyone, let alone get arrested on the spot. Otherwise, my parents would do more than ground me for life. At least Mom's backyard garden would have better flowers in springtime. Sid's place rested a good eight blocks or so away from my house, past the old car factories and adjacent to the avenue leading to the school. I could already hear distant sirens over the rows and rows of dilapidated houses prompting me to be quick on my toes and wary of any approaching cars along the cracked sidewalk leading deeper to Riviera's west side. Broken bottles, cigarette butts, a muddied pamphlet preaching salvation, and emptied spray cans could not be missed along the way to his house. Not to mention the shuttered windows, some of the small shops outfitted with bars, too. I, Axel! For years, I tried to get him to call me Alex ever since he misread my name back in third grade, but he never relented. Plus, it made me sound cooler. There I spotted him standing against one of the graffitied wooden columns holding his porch roof aloft. The well-built hyena's black-dyed head fur, unchained since Friday, was covered in an ear-fitting baseball cap, surprisingly worn the correct way. Dozens of political and inappropriate buttons were pinned on the semi-tattered dark jacket he'd wear every Devil's Night, highlighting the muscular frame beneath it and an oversized wife beater shirt beneath. Belt chains dangled along his left hip as red boxers peeked from his torn jeans. His smile could not have been any brighter than a spotlight through the dusk, and he ran up to me from the house's unkempt front yard. Actually, you here. He pulled me up in a big bro hug, then let me go and quickly added, No homo. <laughs> no homo, bro. I almost hesitated in my reply, but shook it away to smirk at the tall canine, standing only an inch taller than me. So, let's leave this puke hole before your dad chases me away like last year. Sid cackled his trademark hyena laugh, patting my back. He'd honestly called his home and surrounding city much worse terms. You still gonna rip me on that axle? He asked, to which I rolled my eyes and stuck my tongue out at him. He responded by nicking me in the shoulder. My dad wasn't drunk that night. Told you not to knock on the door that night, didn't I? Told you not to knock, didn't I? You sure did, bud. I scratched the back of a nervous ear, chuckling lightly. Learn my lesson this time. Be lucky my mom's visiting family in the UP, too. I raised an eyebrow. Like she does every year? It's a tradition, he argued. And besides, her job lets her leave before Halloween. Dad's job doesn't. Sid subsequently pulled up a black bandana over his snout, tying it up behind his head. He tossed me a bundle of a bandana, too, only it was light gray. Come on, then, he motioned his multicolored muzzle down an adjacent road leading towards the source of the sirens and a distant billow of smoke. Let's get out of this fucking puke hole and tear some shit up. Sid and I went out on Devil's Nights for different reasons. He went out to release the pent-up aggression and testosterone always boiling inside his canid body. Me? I just got bored one evening years ago asked Sid what he planned to do the night before Halloween. The cackling hyena bluntly told me on the bus ride, devil's night, babe. Me and Sid Seraphine weren't in the same cliques or clubs at school. Not that he ever attended any, but we were close. For one, we shared the same birthday, August 31st, 1976, He and I never had a party where most of the other kids rather wanted to spend the last day of summer biking or swimming at the beach. His presence at my eighth birthday party made it one of the best ones despite the poor attendance. It also sparked our decade-long friendship. My parents somehow liked his company when he didn't swing curse words like conjunctions, They saw enough under his punk exterior to know why I loved being best friends with him. His gruff, in-your-face exterior never scared me. He could be hilarious to speak with and incredibly insightful, if a little paranoid about the establishment, while managing to be empathetic. When he often visited my house for dinner, Sid didn't even need to be asked to help wash the dishes. He just did it. If only my folks knew what we were doing, then they'd never let me see him again. Curiosity got the better of me. Where are we going this time, Sid? I asked him. Our normal routes the other direction? Don't worry about it, dude. He turned another corner. Word on the street says our route will be filled with cops. So remember that auto factory on 10th Street? Yeah? What about it? I asked, only for his rhetorical question to hit me like a brand new Corvette on the road. Oh, oh, don't tell me we're going to that Ford plant. Of course, Axel. It's free real estate. He cackled before jabbing his thumb in another direction, and we made a sharp left. I've been feeling like we ought to give it a little makeover anyways. Plus, I've got a surprise for you. A police car's siren blared out somewhere several houses away. It grew distant as our heartbeats caught right up to us, and I followed directly behind Sid. Minutes passed by like hours. Sirens could be heard no differently than crickets in summer or fireworks near July. The entire time I did not drift a single foot away from Sid, knowing I could easily wander off and get lost. Our conversations from his house to the night's venue varied between short interludes. I tried playing 20 questions with him, trying to figure out why he wanted to go to the car plant of all places, but he wouldn't budge an inch. He claimed it was a surprise. Though, the hyena did promise I wouldn't be disappointed in the mayhem to be seen when we made it there. Fast-paced walking and hushed jogs eventually led us to our destination. The old Fort Plant, an expansive chain-linked fenced industrial park that camouflaged with the rest of Riviera's residential housing. After guiding me through a hidden hole in the fence, pausing to help unstuck my backpack from a sharp edge of metal, Sid smirked in the darkness and piloted us to the main building. Thank God raccoons and hyenas had excellent night vision. An empty, dark expanse of wide-open flooring. Several filing cabinets bent or torn apart in unnatural ways. Assembly tracks stripped clean. An actual couch, likely dragged out from either the manager's office or the worker's break room. Wiring and pipes plucked from the shredded walls, likely by desperate scrappers. Conveyor belt rubbers left behind in a large pile near the loading bay. Broken beer bottles, shards of glasses under our shoes, plenty of leftover nuts, bolts, and empty cigarette packs. So what you think of this, Axel? Sid asked as we marveled at the interior. Closed only five years and plenty of people already trashed the interior to kingdom come. The exterior rusted away each winter, yet trash and otherworldly graffiti kept continuing to accumulate within its dead walls. This is amazing, I laughed, then shouted an echoing, amazing. Fuckin' A it is, Sid slapped the back of my shoulder, pulling me into a side hug. When I almost pulled my bandana down, he mentioned, don't, I don't need you breathing in any of this asbestos shit around here. Gotcha. Wait. I perked an ear at him and turned to him carrying a hidden grin. Pause. You do care about me. What Whatever, dude. The hyena scoffed and pushed himself away from our side hug. Let's keep looking around. We don't have all night. All right, then, I chuckled. You lead the way to this surprise of yours. First, Sid interjected with a sly, curious smile. I want to go see the roof. See how much of it's burning out there and all. You coming with me? Sure! The factory seemed more like a tomb than anything else, without all the loud machinery or workers inspecting the parts. I'd never stepped foot inside before, but I knew enough about the Ford plant. For years, the place helped employ hundreds of working-class family men around our neighborhoods. My grandparents on dad's side of the family relied on it most for income. After they retired to a condo in Florida just before the recession hit, the plant closed its doors, and like Sid said, it became free real estate for everybody else. We found the emergency stairs, decked in attempts at gang colors, leading all the way to the top. Some foul smells managed to surprise us, but rather than find their sources, we continued to climb. Thankfully, the bandanas over our muzzles blocked out most of the sense. On our way up the pitch-black stairwell, Sid spooked me by humming a familiar song. Seasons don't fear the reaper, nor do the wind, he began to lowly sing. The sun or the rain, we can be like they are, I joined in with him as our words echoed up and down the concrete stairwell. Come on, baby, don't fear the reaper, he interjected, mid-rhythm, smirking ahead of me as we wound up each step. Come on, baby, don't fear the reaper, baby, take my hand. Don't fear the reaper, we'll be able to fly. Don't fuck the reaper. Sid's addition to the song suddenly had me holding my stomach, laughing and laughing. Don't fuck the reaper, we'll be able to fly. Don't fuck the reaper, he sang, snickered, until finally joining in my laughter. I think you just hit the funny bone. That pun earned me a light swipe in the shoulder when Sid turned to dish it. Ow! Not gonna lie, you got a singing voice. He clicked his tongue amusedly. Think it would rival Bon Jovi? Eh! Not to me, I shrugged as we continued our next flight. I was going to go more like Brian Johnson, you know, because you got that pitch in the back of your throat down to a T. Ha, that's what she said, dude, the hyena snickered childishly, then paused before I could so much as join in or offhandedly say, no homo, to ease any tension. There we are. Hey, Axel, here's the door. It opened to reveal a dark roof underneath a cloudless nighttime sky, not only overlooking the condemned car-part factory, but the rest of our pukeable town. Holy! The words fell from my lips as I stared agape at the unusual number of fires in the distance. The view looked like it had been pulled straight out of an apocalypse. God damn! They're really going at it out there, Huh? There's got to be hundreds going on. Sid whistled at the sight, particularly to the fires erupting west of the plant. They don't call it devil's night for nothing unless it looks like hell on earth, he mused aloud in awe. Remember Otty Burks from chemistry class last year? I think that trailer park he lives in has a fire going on. I could just make out the area he was referring to. Beyond the infernos dancing and raging along the horizon, I could imagine how spectacular Riviera must have been, once upon a time, post-World War II. Living factories, populated houses, well-groomed sidewalks, and a sense of growing community. But then the freeways and arsons made our city into what it is, a comatose town. Not a ghost town, but not a fully living one. Do you think any of them will spread? I stepped several feet apart from the edge of the gravel rooftop, having almost tripped on a bottle. I heard it happen with those riots in Las Estrellas a couple years back. Too many fires, and nobody could have a roof over their heads. Sid and I never went as far as torching a house, vacant or not. The closest it ever approached arson was Devil's Night in 91, when the hyena tested 4th of July rockets and accidentally set a dumpster on fire. Never again, he promised me. He and I had our fill of the site and got to work having fun. Before Sid went guiding me to the manager's office overlooking a section of the open space, I joined him in expressing our artistic side one example included defacing letters of any warning signs still drilled onto the concrete walls the cigarette symbol on a no smoking sign became a pie thanks to a diagonal line stick figures were given massive dicks employees only turned into employees bone one achievement i felt proud of was using permanent markers to draw detailed genitalia all over a blank wall space. You'd make Michelangelo proud, Axel, Sid gave his praise, halfway through spray painting green and yellow pot leaves wherever he could. My throwing arm also needed practice. Sid eagerly helped me out by assisting me in tossing toilet paper rolls over the exposed beams in the ceiling. By the time I exhausted them from my backpack, A wide range of tall white specters swayed with the wind coming from an open window, dangling from the ceiling like shredded curtains. If only our art teachers saw this now, he sighed in contentment at our overall work, then checked his watch. The hyena sharply inhaled, Come on, we're not even supposed to be here tonight. A small chuckle made his expression light up. Just a couple weeks earlier in mid-October, Sid convinced me to join him in a midnight screening for a black-and-white comedy film at one of the more off-brand theaters in downtown. He couldn't stop guffawing at the hilarious movie throughout, and neither could I, to the point he'd reference my favorite line just to get a giggle out of me. Worked like a charm. It's, I'm not even supposed to be here today, ain't it? I giggled between hiccups of deep breaths. Either way, we're definitely not supposed to be here, he started, pulling me in the direction of the concrete staircase. It was the one leading up to a large enclosed booth looking down on the desolate ground floor. But I brought you here so I could show you something. It's in the manager's office. What's the surprise anyway? I mock gasped. Is it drugs? Tell me it's drugs. Nah, I ran out of bush yesterday he joked while opening the door to an empty rectangular office. Dusk and skid marks littered the tiled floor, while a dirty glass window glared down at the abandoned factory floor. Besides, it's bad luck getting high while trespassing. My head turned to the windows. And drunk? Especially drunk. Now look to your left, Axel. I did so, and immediately gasped in astonishment. Mesmerizing. No other word can describe it like that. Mesmerizing. Even in the dark, where I could perfectly see. Making up the entirety of the back wall, two canine silhouettes stood back to back. One face left towards the door, a colorful fur looking at pitch darkness made of lead literally penciled into the beige plaster. Meanwhile... The other canine, shaped by what appeared to be dozens of spent permanent markers, stared rightward, away from the door, towards a technicolor rainbow that smelled of spray paint. All of it made up the back wall of what used to be a stuffy, boring manager's office. Whoa. Wow. This. The words sooner or later came to me. Sid? Sid? How long have you been working on this? Since that hole in the fence appeared, he quipped and had a deep sigh. To be honest, I half expected some other punk or two to fuck it up by the time I brought you up here. Thank Christ it's still in one piece, or else it'd have all been a waste. He stepped next to me and joined in marveling at his presumable masterpiece. Moments like this made me wish I would brought a camera. You plan on going to art college? I asked. Sid? He paused in his response. Maybe. I raised an eyebrow and quizzical ear at him. Maybe. Not college material? Sid, if I know anything, it's that you're a fantastic artist and you know you'd have fun there. You'd have so much fun there. Won't exactly help put food on my table, though, would it? He shook his head, disdain clear as the daytime in his voice. Tagging artists aren't rolling in cash in Riviere, are they? I won't be rolling in cash. Fair point, I conceded, though took a page from my mother's book by counter-arguing. However... You don't want to end up in a deadbeat job, do you? I can't imagine someone like you in a place like this. Working in factories and slaving away for 12 hours a day? Or a stuffy office job with a 401k on the line? He scoffed back a laugh. (laughs) Sounds like a window into hell to me. Already knowing the hyena was not just a good student, but a great student when he put effort into it, I decided to twist the knife a little harder. You ought to consider it after the SATs next year, Sid. I can talk to my parents and convince my mom to help you get a tutor. He groaned. Fine, fine, fine. I'll sign up for the best fucking college I can think of. Just stop it. I'll do it. Shit, you're sounding like your damn mother, you know? I knew. I also knew she'd be proud of me channeling her paralegal abilities. After another quiet moment, I decided to ask, So what got you to make this? Besides showing off my own talent? Sid grinned ear to ear, squinting between me and the wall plaster he made into his canvas. Not to sound like a fairy art critic from Manhattan Isle, but it came to me after Mr. Hodgkiss got us reading the strange case of Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde. Struck with inspiration by the final page, in fact. Now that's surprising. That I've read at it like a nerd. He playfully snarled at me in a posh British accent. More akin to the Beatles than an aristocratic normal man. I take offense that good sir. He likely didn't see it, but I flipped him off. That, or he didn't mention it. "'I meant that you said the full title, you ass,' I corrected him, trying my best to sound mad but failing. My attempted frown became a smirk. "'If I remember correctly, Hodgekiss took off points for everyone who only had Jackal and Hyde on their book essays. All the Valedictorians got miffed at him, too. "'You included?' I shrugged inanely. "'Nobody's perfect.' It got me thinking about duality, though, and how much we like to hide ourselves from the world, he explained. Who we are, what we are, what we try to be when we aren't. Are you saying, then, that you're a short, murderous wolf by night, then? I earned myself a harsh smack on the shoulder, but I couldn't stop giggling. I deserved that, didn't I? That's for comparing me to a wolf, fag. A jolt of electric fear briefly made me freeze until I relaxed somewhat. My consciousness reminded my body not to think he was referring to my closeted homosexuality. He didn't know yet, for one, but to Sid, he didn't casually throw around fag, faggot, pussy, or sissy, because he hated gay people like some of the jocks at our school. His lack of an inner filter caused him to use blunt, offensive words in casual conversation, and seeing them as simply that... Words. He only respected members of authority if it didn't mean an instant ticket to detention, or worse, expulsion or jail time. My, not as solid as I wanted it to be, evidence for this came down to what occurred the previous week. Speaking of which, do you. do you remember last Wednesday? Sid paused again. Last Wednesday? I saw you walloping Joey Cullerton during lunch. Right in the face. Yep, he confessed. In school suspension for two months. Spend my study hall, lunch, and one hour in the principal's office. Another offense, then it'll be either four months or the guillotine for me, Axel. What was it about? I asked him, one of my ears folded slightly. What did he do? Granted, I'd arrived at the cafeteria when Sid was hauled by then. I already knew the answer. My suspicions about Sid's stance on homosexuals in general were already confirmed true, but I needed to hear the words from his unfiltered maw. Joey was being a self-righteous dumbass, his answer arrived in colorful fashion. He was picking on this emo freshman, calling him a faggot, telling everyone Randy's been sucking his dick. Getting the mouse to cry? Anyway, little Randy spews an insult right back. The bull pulls him by his hem, and I decided somebody ought to teach that faggot manners. He shook his head and corrected with, Joey, not Randy, I mean. An anxious laugh bubbled from my lips. Ah, okay. Ever since the incident, me and Sid have been awkwardly tiptoeing around it. He might have had a mouth and certainly counted as a punk by our teachers, but he never got into physical fights. It caught some of the clicks by surprise. Me? I considered it the perfect opportunity to tell him. Tell him. My tail almost curled into a nervous ball, yet the words refused to stop. Sid, I'm. I'm gay. One heartbeat, two heartbeats, a sharp intake of breath. A chill crept right down my spine and up my bushy raccoon tail. Sid slowly glanced to me. I think, here comes the beating. Thank Christ! I swear, a pin dropped. Then, I stared with wide eyes between him and the masterpiece adorning the office wall. How couldn't I have noticed it before? The more I stared at it, the more it dawned on me. The rainbows, the technicolor shadows, the silhouettes weren't shaped like a canine. They more resembled a hyena. Me too.
0: This was the first of two parts of Dancing on Devil's Night by Domus Vosis read for you by Dirt Coyote from twitter.com. Tune in next time to find out how the rest of Devil's Night will play out for Alex and Sid. As always, you can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you
1: get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Ghost of Dog.